everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's, That's right. right. What a great day. What a great day. What a fabulous morning. Stay a while and listen. Stay a while and listen. Stay a while and listen. Uh, oh, what if we just did that for every podcast? And we should just start every podcast by quoting Deckard Kane. Um, and then just talk about Diablo. Well, the new one's coming out, so... So we can almost move on to talk about Diablo 2. That's right. Because we talked about Diablo 1. Diablo 2. The sequel to Diablo. The sequel to Mist. The prequel to Jungle Strike. I was watching a guy who has a YouTube channel called Gaming the Systems. And it's a uh, retro game channel. And he had not played any of the Strike series, but he owns them. And he was like, I'm going to start playing it with Desert Strike. And he commented, it's Desert Strike Return to the Gulf. Sounds like a sequel, but it's the first game. (laughs) (laughs) Jungle Strike is just Jungle Strike, the sequel to Desert Strike, isn't it? Yeah, it's Jungle Strike, the sequel to Desert Strike, which is a great name for a game. I wish they had something that was like whatever strike, like, um, like Nuclear Strike or something. But it was set in the Gulf, so then they could be like Nuclear your strike back again to the gulf return to return to the gulf anyway let's get into the chit chatting about stuff that we've been recently been playing so zach what have you been recently been playing seth recently i have been playing my house dot wad my house dot wad is a mod of doom 2 that i don't even know where to start basically back on march 3rd of this year a post showed up on the i believe the doom world forums where someone said i recently created this wad as a tribute to my friend who passed away it's based on his childhood home they were like i found a floppy disk that we were working on when we were kids and i decided i was gonna continue work on it feel free to check it out let me tell you this is a crazy game did you check it out (laughs) oh man (laughs) myhouse.wad is so much more than just a map of someone's house it is without a doubt one of the most surrealist horror experiences that i've played as a video game in a very long time and it might be one of the best like abstract horror games to come out this year (laughs) it's a game almost entirely based on house of leaves which is a novel that is famous for having an abstract form of writing where like text will randomly start trailing off the page and like spilling into other pages and like words from other chapters will just randomly appear in the chapter you're reading in like boxes and stuff like that it's a very abstract book and this is a very abstract game because as you explore this house you'll find out that this house is not just a normal house and this is not just a normal doom wad for one thing it's about 60 megabytes which is bigger than both doom 1 and 2 combined (laughs) and the other thing is that the house you're exploring has floors yeah which is not not possible in the in the doom engine but it does it and it's running in doom it's running in the doom engine it uses gz doom which is a which is a source port but gz doom alone cannot do that so this is very complex programming for for a doom wad and it's tiny things like that it's like when you're exploring the house and you go down into the basement for the first time and you're like wait a second i'm in a basement underneath the house or when you go into the attic and you're like wait a second i'm in an attic in a doom game and there was no transition like i naturally went up here sort of deal it's stuff like that there's also other things that start happening through the game what i would say is i don't want to give too much away and i haven't even discovered all the secrets yet i think i got one of the bad endings because there are multiple endings to this game but when you first start playing it go through the house collect the keys and when you get the blue key leave play through the second level of doom 2 which is um underhaul collect all of the ammo you can and when you finish underhaul you'll go back to the house and when you replay the house don't leave 
So when you get the blue key, don't leave. Go around the house and enter the back door. And that's where the game begins. What? Does anyone tell you to do that? No. I learned this from watching a video on YouTube. But when you enter through the back door, the second time you are in a new house and everything has changed. So is it scary? Like, is it like my buddy simulator scary? Or is it like Mortuary Assistant scary? It's like my buddy simulator scary. It is unsettling. Oh, okay. So like I, I could play it without getting scared. Yeah, there are parts that did legitimately terrify me in like a oh, kind of way. <laughs> like there's one part where I ended up in this massive cavern. It's very much like inspired by liminal space. If anyone knows what that is, where it's like empty rooms that just feel unsettling. It, I ended up in this like empty room and I started getting attacked by an invisible like ghost. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of freaked me out. Yeah, the game is like very much inspired by House of Leaves. It's very much inspired by liminal space horror. If people are familiar with the back room, Rooms. In fact, if you try to no clip in the game, you will enter the back rooms. Oh, that's fun. You can't no clip. If you try to no clip, you'll fall out of the map and you'll enter the back rooms. And if you're in the back rooms, you have to escape them. And it's possibly one of the hardest mazes of a Doom mod. And you're constantly chased by an invincible enemy. Yeah, the back rooms are like a this weird creepypasta that's on online. I've gotten a little bit not into them. I've just been I'm familiar with them. Yeah, so it's that kind of horror. So you will need a copy of GZ doom you need a copy of the my house dot it's actually a dot pk3 not dot wad it's just called dot wad and you do need a copy of doom 2 i think you can play it using like free doom which is an open source version of doom but right. i would say probably the purest experience would be playing it through doom 2 because it just kind of hits a little differently when you are familiar with the textures and stuff of doom um versus the free doom textures which you could get off of good old games yeah for pretty cheap it's usually i think running like five bucks so and it's doom 2 like it's a great game yes and gz doom is just a great open source version of doom so if you, it's like open source platform to run doom on so if you don't have gz doom and you want to play doom just get gz doom and play doom but now you'll also have the my house dot wad mod to play and good luck uh, i still need to replay it because i got again to one of the bad endings and i need to figure out how to get further in it like i kind of know what i'm doing but you're, at one point you're supposed to do something and enter a nursery home or nursery school so every area you enter is modeled on the house sometimes it will be bigger sometimes it will be smaller but it follows the same structure of the house which is unnerving so at one point you enter an airport and it is modeled after the house so like you know where everything is but it's an airport and another part you're in a preschool and it's modeled after the house you know where everything is but it's a preschool it's just unnerving stuff <laughs> yeah and there's a couple of videos online of people going through it um which if people are interested maybe if we remember we'll play it during extra life yeah yeah for sure uh seth what about you what have you been playing recently i've been playing retromania wrestling which was released in february of 2021 i mean we might have mentioned wrestlemania wrestling which we but it might have been not in the last it was not in the last packs might have been at the packs before or the packs before that it was either one packs or two packs ago i'm not exactly sure because it might have been mentioned in the original packs episode i think one year we didn't do a packs episode but anyway retromania wrestling is a arcade game that is inspired by classic retro wrestling with uh, 2D action and an eclectic roster of wrestlers that are past and present. Also, uh, Zach and I were talking about it earlier and John Riggs, who's a YouTuber, has a cameo in it during one of the fights. I really like the game. It's got a very uh, very retro feel to it. It's got pretty simple controls, but it's one of those where you really need to get the timing and the positioning correct because if you're off by just a little bit, you're going to miss. Like, So if I'm like going off of back the rope, 
ropes and to try and like pin somebody or tackle somebody and I'm not precisely on their right line, I could miss them and and just fly into the air and do nothing. So it's something that is a game where unlike Doomwad is not it's not scary, but it does require some patience as you attempt to master it. Very cool settings. The graphics are amazing. I really love the it's the graphics are really what brought me to it. I'm not a uh, a big wrestling fan, but I really like retro wrestling games. So like classic wrestling games like Metromania Wrestling tries to be and succeeds or like even like early like SNES N64 type wrestling games. Uh, anything past N64 I'm not really that interested in, but I like those type of wrestling games. So it's on Steam and it's uh, right now uh, MSRPing for $29.99, but it does include 17 licensed playable wrestlers and they're planning on expanding it. Uh, there's 20 arenas. Uh, you can get a local multiplayer up to eight players and uh, there is beautiful pixel art as we mentioned. Uh, you can even get ring entrances complete with nameplate and entrance music. And there's various different match types. One-on-one, tag team, best of three, cage matches with different cage styles, and battle royale. So I just started doing the original, like, just the story mode. But I think it's gonna actually going to be a really fun game to play, like, on the couch or something. Nice! That's another game we could play during Extra Life if we remember. It's true. It's true. Um, but maybe also, because it has up to eight players, we can play it during Brocation. Ooh! Uh, so anyway, today's episode, we're going to be talking about Animal Crossing, which Zach has a lot of experience playing the newest version. I think it became very popular. I even had like a coworker who was not into video games telling me that she was a uh, a billionaire because that's like the, the bells of the currency. She's, she's like, I'm a billionaire. And I didn't play it, but uh, I think I played some of the original game. Now, Animal Crossing or Dobutsu no Mori was developed by Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development Division, better known as Nintendo EA and formerly known as Nintendo R&D 4. This is the same division of the company that also worked on games like Super Mario Brothers, Donkey Kong, The Legend of Zelda, F-Zero, Star Fox, and pretty much any big intellectual property that Nintendo decided to do. R&D 4 was the division that did it. The concept of Animal Crossing came about shortly after the release of Yoshi's Story in 1997. At the time, Nintendo was working on development of the Nintendo 64 DD, which was a floppy disk add-on for the N64 that would allow players to use specialized discs instead of cartridges. These specialized discs would open up the N64 to having the ability to have rewritable data storage, a real-time clock, and standardized font and audio libraries. This is novel for the time and would really open up the capabilities to do additional things with their games. For example, I believe um, real-time clocks are added into later Pokemon games and you're able to actually add like morning and evening events to things based on the actual time where it is. Uh, So I think that's kind of cool that they were looking to add those features to the N64. Now, the real-time clock was something that Nintendo really wanted to experiment with as beyond the ability to kind of give you like your daytime, nighttime, but it would also allow for persistent game world designs. Basically, the idea of having a game that you could turn off and essentially even with the system being off, it could still exist. The N64 DD was delayed more than a few times, and the development of Dubetsu Nomori, which literally translates to Animal Forest, was moved from a disc-based title to a cartridge-based title based on the delays of the N64 DD. It's actually likely somewhat thankful that the game's development was moved from the DD to the standard N64, as the N64 DD would go on to be a 
commercial failure for Nintendo and was discontinued only two years after its launch. The N64DD ended up releasing with only 10 pieces of software and only 15,000 units would go on to get sold. Games that were planned for the 64DD were either cancelled or had their development shifted to cartridge or the GameCube. Some titles that were moved to cartridge were Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Stadium, Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards, Mario Party 2, Paper Mario, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, and of course, Dobetsu no Mori. And I'm glad that a lot of these games moved to cartridge. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of these games are really good N64 games. Yeah, I mean, some of the best N64 games got their start originally as concepts for the DD. The game, despite moving to a cartridge, would still require a real-time clock. And they would decide that they were actually going to put one into the cartridge itself. This would make Debetsu no Mori the only N64 game that has a real-time clock in its cartridge, which is pretty neat. Which it also would need a battery, right? So, in order to use the battery for the real-time clock, they had to move the save element for the game to a different way to save. So, they ended up opting to utilize the N64 controller pack, because you have to use the battery for one thing, and having the battery taking up multiple resources would probably kill the battery very quickly. The team that worked on Debetsu no Mori was largely inexperienced. It was led by Katsuya Iguchi, Hisashi Nagomi, and the Super Mario Brothers co-creator Takashi Tezuka. The game's sound director was Kazumi Totaka, who previously worked on Wave Race 64, Yoshi Story, Mario Paint, and other titles. Man, I love Wave Race. Wave Race is a great game. Now, Totaka was also a voice actor and would voice the character of Totekeki, or better known in English as K.K. Slider, who is a white dog that appears in Dobetsu no Mori and plays various music throughout the game. Totaka is also best known for putting hidden Easter eggs in almost every game he works on, called the Totaka Song. The song first was discovered in the title screen of Mario Paint, but Totaka had actually inserted it into his very first game, X, which came out for the Game Boy. And I'm going to insert Totaka song from X here. And now we're going to play the one that appears in Debetsu no Mori. The game itself was partially inspired by Katsuya Uguchi's personal history. Katsuya Uguchi accepted a job at Nintendo in 1986. He had to move from Chiba to Kyoto, which for those who don't know, in Japan are pretty far apart from each other. It's about a seven hour drive or about a three and a half hour train ride. This meant that he had to leave his family, friends, and community that he established in Chiba behind and reestablish all these relationships when he moved to Kyoto. Including his family. <laughs> Not including his family, but he had to, you know, find new friends, develop a new sense of community and really just rebuild his life and this process was one of the driving factors for how the idea of Debetsu no Mori was developed and what informed the game design. Debetsu no Mori would officially release in Japan in April of 2001 and it was the last game that Nintendo created for the N64 and the third to last game that was released on the system as a whole. The game was also fairly difficult to market as the gameplay isn't really something that you can just kind of like explain easily in a marketing campaign it's not like a platformer or a 
beat him up. Or yeah, it's not like stuff that was selling Animal at Crossing. That time. Shoot the bad guys because you're not doing that. <laughs> but the thing is, in Animal Crossing, there's no end game, which is also like it's almost barely a game, except for the fact it is a game, right? It's like it really goes beyond the definitions of what we would call a game. It's very much a simulator. Despite the game having some difficulties with marketing, it did eventually release and it became a decently successful game. Though the GameCube was actually already out, so. Nintendo decided that they were going to port Dobetsu no Mori directly to the GameCube and provide an enhanced version called Dobetsu no Mori Plus. Nintendo doing this was also a way to go about their plan for localization. They weren't going to localize the N64 version, they were just going to localize this new GameCube version because why would you localize a cartridge game that is for a system that is currently obsolete? Dobetsu no Mori Plus, the GameCube version of the game, would release in Japan in December of 2001. So, the N64 version came out in April of 2001. The GameCube version came out in December of 2001. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's like, like three people could have just been slow on something and it could have just not come out. I feel so bad for the people that bought it for the N64 and then saw the GameCube version came out and they're like, what? <laughs> like, Well, let's be real. First of all, Nintendo doesn't care. We know this for a fact. They're more than happy to sell two games to everybody. I, it's just It's just wild to me that like, like, it's a little different today when, like, PS4 games also come out for PS5 because the consoles are, they're very different, but the games are pretty much identical. Um, It's like my PS4 version just doesn't run as well, which is wild to me. But, like, Dibetsu no Mori Plus is a substantially different game. It has some new things added to it that weren't in the N64 version. Right, but if you didn't have a GameCube, you could still play it. That's true, that's true. The GameCube was still brand new, so maybe people didn't have the, you know, there's still a market that's of people true. who had N64 and still haven't gotten the money to get a GameCube, they could still enjoy to Betsy no Mori. That's true. The GameCube version, though, wasn't a simple port. It also would add some new things. Um, it added the museum, which is a staple to Animal Crossing to this day, and the characters of the Able Sisters who own a shop that you can buy clothes. Now, they would go on to localize it for the American market. Instead of calling it to Betsy no Mori, they called it Animal Crossing, and that would go on to be localized and released in September of 2002. Now, the localized version is pretty different from the original release, largely due to the sheer amount of translation and localization efforts that had to go into it. There were thousands of lines of text that had to be translated and localized from Japanese to English, but because it was a localization, every cultural reference for a Japanese audience had to be reworked to make it relatable to an outside audience. We've talked about this before, but there's a big difference between translating in something and localizing something. Two games that I can tell you to show clear different examples of what's translation and what's localization. Animal Crossing was localized. As an American, you could buy Animal Crossing and you'll know what's going on. Zero Wing was translated. At some point in time, this cat creature says all your bases are belong to us and nobody knows why. <laughs> it's a great meme, but it's not. Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. I've watched the intro to Zero Wing. I don't know what's going on. I think I'm vaguely a pilot and some panther thing wants me. I play Animal Crossing, I know the plot because it's been localized. <laughs> now, Nintendo's localizers, uh, Nate Billedorf and Rich Amtower, had to develop entirely new items and holidays for the games to replace the references to Japanese holidays that would not be easily recognizable to non-Japanese players. Now, the changes to the game were pretty substantial and substantial enough that Nintendo of Japan wanted to implement them back 
back into the Japanese version of the game. And to do this, they released Dubetsi no Mori E Plus. For the third time, they will sell the game to the Japanese market. This one, released in 2003, this version of the game added in the new items and holidays created by the localization team for the American market. One interesting thing to note is that in all three versions of Animal Crossing, the N64, the GameCube, and the localized version for the GameCube, feature a variety of NES games that can be unlocked and played. The N64 version has the least amount of games, with only seven playable NES games. The GameCube version features 14, and the localized version also features 14, but as two games from the Japanese version removed, Gomuku Naraba Renju and Mahjong, possibly because these games were never given an English release. And the GameCube version for a Additional games could be obtained through different means. Ice Climber and Mario Brothers were distributed via e-reader cards. The e-reader was for the, the Game Boy Advance that required you to swipe cards. In Japan, for the readers of Famitsu, there was a prize where Super Mario Brothers was available to be added to the game. And while not officially given away, the entirety of The Legend of Zelda exists in the GameCube and can be put into the game using a cheat device like a Game Genie or something? Uh, yeah, using a Game Shark. So they, they, they intended to put Legend of Zelda into it. And then at the last minute, they scrapped the idea. I think it, I don't think, it, I mean, it wouldn't have been a licensing thing. It was Nintendo. But I think they were just like, eh, we don't want to do that. So they, they, they cut it out. I wonder who makes that decision, right? Because like they went through and they did it. It's in the code. You can add it pretty easily but then at, at one point they're like meh so my dumb theory is that majority of game cubes came with the zelda zelda collector's disc which was a right. promotional disc that had zelda 1 2 ocarina of time and majora's mask and a demo for wind waker so part of me was wondering if someone at nintendo saw what they were doing with tibetsu no mori and was like but everyone's already got a copy for the GameCube for legend of zelda we don't need it because we gave it to them because we gave it to them we don't need another so That's they're fair. just like yeah okay let's go it out but they never took the game code out so you can just re-establish it again. yeah they were like but we already did all this well let's just not activate it <laughs> yeah in terms of the gameplay and the plot animal crossing is a simulation game your character arrives in a new town and is given a house though you do have to pay it back as you have a mortgage it is then up to you to explore do various activities talk to your new friends and as the game uses a real-time clock various events will occur you can celebrate independence day there's a halloween there's a harvest festival which falls on the same day as Thanksgiving and Toy Day, which falls on the same day as Christmas. There are also other holidays and various other activities to participate in, um, such as fishing or daily fitness classes that you can attend. Everything is optional. There's nothing mandatory. Technically, paying back your debt is not even mandatory because there's no interest on it. It just locks you so you can't expand your house. Wait, so you don't have to pay anything? You technically don't. If you never want to, if you don't care about expanding your house, if you don't care that your house stays pretty small, you can leave your house the same size and never pay back your loan. It's like the doctor from Cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like Vic. Now, in Animal Crossing, there are various characters that you encounter, um, such as the other villagers or the shopkeepers. One of those shopkeepers is Tom Nook, who is a tanuki, which is a raccoon dog. It's a type of raccoon that lives in Japan. In America, he's localized just as a raccoon because we do not have tanuki. Tom Nook runs the store in town, and he's also the one that sets you up with your mortgage. So he's also kind of like the bank. Every time you pay down your debt, Tom will ask if you want to expand your house, and you will get more debt. Then you will pay it down, and he will be like, do you want to expand? 
expand your house again and you will get more debt. There are also the Able Sisters who are twin hedgehogs that run a clothing shop in town and they are there to get you new clothes um, and they appear again throughout the rest of the series. There is also Mr. Rossetti who is a mole. Mr. Rossetti is there to scold the player if they do not save before shutting off their console. So the proper way to play Animal Crossing when you want to leave is you have to go and you have to talk to this one character who will save your progress and then you can turn your game off. Well actually I believe tell you it is now safe to turn off your system. If you just turn off your system you won't lose technically any progress but it can mess certain things up so Mr. Rossetti will come on and he'll be like don't ever do this again and he will scold you and he'll get very mad. He like fills up your whole screen with text of just like yelling at you not to do this again. Now Seth how did Animal Crossing do? Well the first game is this the first game of the N64? I couldn't find sales for the N64 version. We're going to say that first game did all right. The first game that has sales, uh, the GameCube version, Dubetsi no Mori Plus, sold pretty well. It sold 92,568 copies in Japan during its first week alone. Uh, the updated version, Dubetsu no Mori E Plus, sold 91,658,000 units in its first week. Upon release worldwide, the game would go on to sell more than 2 million copies. Overall, the game has solid scores, uh, with Famitsu giving the N64 version a 32 out of 40 and the GameCube version a 37 out of 40. Game Informer gave the game a 9.5 out of 10. GamePro gave it 4.5 stars and GameSpot gave it an 8.1 out of 10. And the TV show X-Play, which was a fun time in my life, ranked it as the seventh best GameCube game of all time. Because before there was Game Ranks, there was X-Play. Now we can watch Game Ranks on YouTube and they'll tell us where it falls in the best GameCube game of all time. Time. And they'll also tell us which 10 games have the b most breakable maps or like some random arbitrary thing. Now, Animal Crossing was a huge success for Nintendo, spawning a pretty big franchise that is still around today. The first sequel, Wild World, was released in 2005 for the Nintendo DS. Another sequel, City Folk, was released in 2008 for the Nintendo Wii. After that, we had New Leaf, which was released in 2012 for the Nintendo 3DS. And most recently was New Horizons, which was released in 2020. New Horizons is notable for being one of the best-selling games of all time, selling over 40 million copies worldwide on release and breaking the console game record for most digital sales in one month. Now, I, I want to let people know there might be a reason that New Horizons sold very well, because it came out in 2020, around the time the COVID pandemic hit. So, a lot of people stayed home. <laughs> People stayed home and they wanted to pretend they were going places and they could do that by playing Animal Crossing. It's still a great game. It's just that I, I would say a lot of those sales were probably because people were uh, unfortunately very bored and alone. Now, beyond the sequels, we also have various spinoffs, such as Happy Home Designer, Plaza, Amiibo Festival, and Pocket Camp. Pocket Camp was uh, was actually a mobile game. It was one of Nintendo's first mobile games, like, properly, and you could get it on your, like, iPhone or Android. The characters of Mr. Rossetti, Villager, and Isabel have all appeared in the Super Smash Brothers game. Mr. Rossetti appears as a trophy, so if you uh, activate him, he will take up the entire screen and block everyone from being being able to see what they're doing. And in 2006, an animated film called Geki Joban Dobetsu no Mori was released in Japan. Uh, I believe it's actually based on Wild World. And yeah, it was an animated film about Animal Crossing. Well, that's going to be our uh, Animal Crossing episode today. Uh, we're going to go on to uh, talk about our retro rewind. And uh, Zach gave me Animaniacs, which was released in the released for the SNES back in 1994. It was also released on the Sega 
Genesis, I think a year before. It was developed and published by Konami and is a mascot platformer where you play as all three Animaniacs, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. Yakko's the tall one, Wacko's the middle one, and Dot is the girl. You could like do combo moves with them. You can stand on top of each other and get to high places. You can you could change around who the character is is the primary character and they can do slightly different things but not like different things like ah real monsters different things which also has a three person character game mascot platformer where you play as Ickis, uh obwina or crumb and they all do different things but animaniacs they do all very similar-ish things the game does not have any uh life it only has the animaniacs um, so the game ends when all the Animaniacs are defeated one by one. So if you encounter a guard and the guard picks you up, he'll only pick up who you're currently playing as. And then you are reset that zone and you play as the just the remaining Animaniacs. It's a pretty fun, very nostalgic game. Reminds me a lot of Tiny Tomb Adventures Buster Bust Loose. And since that game was also developed by Konami and was released back in 1992, the Animaniacs is kind of like a spiritual successor to that game. So if you enjoy mascot platformers i would recommend checking them both out they both they both hold up pretty well uh the art style is great it's very um the sprites are big chunky mascot sprites the art style is clean and crisp and almost feels like you're playing a really like that era cartoon uh it's just a lot of fun there's a lot of fun gags that happen throughout the the uh the game and so i definitely uh recommend if you like mascot platformers check it out uh i recommend playing it with a actual controller i was playing it with a keyboard because i was playing it in my browser and that wasn't so hot but that was a me problem not a the game problem zach for next week you can check out a little game we like to call lego island oh i've heard of that game so seth had me play contra 3 alien wars released in 1992 for the super nintendo also by konami contra 3 alien wars is the third game in the contra series like other contra games it's pretty hard uh the contra games are all run and gun action platformers you pretty much do the same thing you want run you run from the left to the right and you don't stop shooting uh like the other games in the series it's a one hit kill situation so if you get hit you die like in real life if you get hit you die it's a it's a a lot of the contra games i feel suffer from the same problem or rather they all have the same type of gameplay which is uh very much based on luck good timing either making sure that you don't get hit by a bullet or just happening to not get hit by a bullet but i think this is also part of the charm makes them a lot of fun to play and makes them you know games that i think are hard but in an enjoyable way sometimes it's almost uh cathartic to play a game that is just that difficult at times i died a lot but i had a good time and overall i think it holds up but only if you don't mind dying a whole bunch and you don't mind seeing the game over screen a lot next week seth you can play first samurai for the super nintendo perfect that's great uh so thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of classic gaming brothers if you want to reach out to us and send us any contact information you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com and we can read your email and and get back to you and talk to you maybe if you have an idea for the episode or um, overall just want to compliment our good looks if you want to follow us on the social media we're on facebook instagram and twitch all at classic gaming brothers and we're on twitter at cg brothers pod we also are available wherever you can listen to podcasts uh, through all the listening apps so feel free to follow us and subscribe and give us a rating on on those podcasting apps so that we can be rated higher than where we were rated before 
And that's it. Uh, Zach, am I missing anything? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. I've been Seth. And we've been the classic gaming brothers. That's, that's right. right.